0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. The mercy of the Lord is everlasting. I have a strong sense in my spirit that Jesus is going to minister powerfully his mercy this morning. Let's pray and ask him to do just that. Jesus, Here we are, and we believe with our whole hearts that you give good gifts to those who who wait upon you and who listen to your word and sit under the authority of your teaching. And we pray and ask that you would sing over us your mercy, proclaim your good news over us this morning. Refresh us, O Lord. We ask this for the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a series this fall on encounters with Jesus. And the story that we're gonna be meditating on this morning is the story of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. That's found in Matthew chapter nine. So open up to Matthew nine in your Bibles. And just to recap what's happened in the story of the gospel up to this point. So Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit in his baptism. He's sent into the wilderness, he's tested. He comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit to begin his mission. He starts calling disciples to himself while he's also healing every disease and affliction. He's going throughout Galilee and his fame is spreading because whoever comes to him walks away healed and changed. He's also casting out demons and he's beginning to teach about the kingdom. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. All this has already happened. Preceding chapter, chapter 8, we see that Jesus' power and authority, He's He's demonstrating the depth of His power and authority. So He's He's healing every illness and disease, even from afar. So He doesn't need to be physically present. His word is enough. He heals from far away. He has power and authority over the elements. He calms the storm. He has power and authority not just over demons, but the worst kind. He casts out legions of demons from the two demoniacs on the other side of the sea. And then right before our story, he demonstrates that he has the power and authority on earth to forgive even sins, which the leaders at that time rightly understood was something that only God could do. And it brings us to the story now in verse 9, chapter 9. Jesus is passing by. He's in Capernaum, which was his kind of home base and his ministry throughout Galilee. He's there. Just having left the scene with a paralytic whose sins he forgave, and now he sees Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he says, Follow me. And Matthew at once gets up and he follows after Jesus. Later that night they're having a party, they're celebrating. It's Matthew the tax collector with all of his other tax collector friends and sinners. Now that word sinner, it can refer to simply those who were just not scrupulous in following the law. But it also can refer to those who were blatant violators of the law. And in the context and watching how the Pharisees react, I think we're gonna go with that second interpretation. It's tax collectors and sinners, or another pairing that you do see throughout this gospel and in other gospels is tax collectors and prostitutes. Kind of go together as a pair. It's a group of people, and Jesus is with this group of people, and the Pharisees are watching and they don't understand. Here's this good rabbi, he's been doing good. But now, he's eating with people and showing friendship with them, people that we would never be with. We thought we were on the same track. We thought we were both after the righteousness in the kingdom. So they come to Jesus, or his disciples actually, and they say, why are you doing this? Now the Pharisees were those who had a reputation for being strict adherents to the law. Not just the law of Moses, but actually this whole body of other laws and traditions, customs that were not a part of scripture. But what Jesus later called the traditions and the customs and the rules of man. And a lot of what Jesus takes the Pharisees to task on is you've built up such a big system and you're so strict and try to follow it that it actually has caused you to misinterpret, misunderstand, and actually miss the point of the law of Moses, which Jesus never speaks against. He only ever upholds it. But the Pharisees, it's important to understand, they are those who have a reputation for having strict adherence, all of these rules, and they do it well. They care about their outward appearance, outward religious duty, and so far they, they seem to be succeeding at it. And so they ask, Why are you doing this? Why are you eating with this group of people? And Jesus explains, uses the metaphor. He said, Well, you're right. They are sick. What do sick people need? They need healing. They need a doctor. That's how you can understand what I've come to do. I've come to heal people, not judge them. And he turns to them and he says, and I would like for you to understand, and then he gets to the heart of our passage today. He quotes from the prophet Hosea, and he says, I want you to understand that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy, meaning steadfast love and faithfulness, both to God. God is saying in Hosea, faithfulness to me is way more important than outward ritual. And mercy to your fellow man is way more important than outward ritual and sacrifice. Knowledge of me, God says, I want you to know me. That's more important. To love me and to be faithful to me and to have mercy on others. If you understand this, you understand what's most important. Not just the outward religious rituals and the sacrifices. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus is saying, look, Pharisees, instead of despising this crew of people over here, what if you had care for them? What if you had decided you would try to help them be well? You see, for Jesus, healing and redemption are the lenses through which he sees the world. Helping people who have messed up very bigly and bringing them back to God that's his mission that's what he wants to do and he's saying to the pharisees oh I wish you we're we're actually not on the same track would you call righteousness I don't call righteousness and I wish you had my heart to see those who are sick and desire that they be well and do what you can to help them rather than cast them aside see with God mercy always leads There's a place for judgment, but the Bible tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy comes first. Mercy leads. Judgment comes only at the end when people, after having chance after chance after chance, refuse to repent. Yes, the Bible says judgment comes, but God always leads with mercy. And by calling Matthew, And the other tax collectors and these sinners, Jesus is revealing the offensively merciful heart of God. Yes, the offensively merciful heart of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. God's offensively merciful heart. Now we have a problem when we come to this story. Here's the problem. Most of you, because you're Americans, you actually love the underdog. That's a problem for this story because you're gonna to come to the story and who are you gonna root for, Matthew or the Pharisees? You're gonna root for Matthew. You're gonna say, oh, he's a tax collector. That means he's on the margins of society. He's, nobody likes him. My heart goes out to Matthew. I like Matthew. Stop it. Stop liking Matthew. It ruins the story. In all seriousness, until we understand what was so offensive, until we are also offended... Like the Pharisees were offended, we do not receive the full impact of the story. So let me paint the picture for you. Matthew is a tax collector. That means last week, he told your brother that if he didn't have the money that was owed, he, Matthew, who had the authority to do this, would sell or or order the confiscation of your brother's fields. And your brother would say, well, if I don't have fields I I can't produce, then how am I ever gonna get the money? Matthew would say that's not my problem my job is to tell you how much you owe your job is to get me the money he just told this to your brother last week your brother's going to lose his fields likely he's going to have to sell some of his family into servitude or go into debtor's prison himself Matthew is not your friend or we see that Jesus is eating with prostitutes Yes, it's true, some prostitutes were driven to it out of desperation, they had no other choice, but not everyone. Some prostitutes, some women said, this is an easy way to make a lot of money. I can seduce men and I have no moral qualms about it. There were some like that too. And so imagine being a woman, watching Jesus go in and eat with prostitutes. Imagine being a woman saying, Rabbi, I don't understand. My husband cheated on me with that woman. That woman took away from me everything I had, and you're eating with her. I don't understand. And until you are offended like that, you cannot understand the full impact of the story. And to realize it truly, it's not just because Jesus had a thing for the underdog. Jesus was revealing something that was supernatural and remarkable. He was revealing the offensively merciful heart of God. So in particular, we're going to look at three ways that in this story Jesus demonstrates he shows his mercy. Look in verse 9. So the first way that Jesus displays his mercy. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man. He saw a man. Jesus saw a man... Whereas the Pharisees, what did they see? Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they saw behavior. They saw saw something wrong. They saw something that wasn't what it was supposed to be. They did not see a man. They did not see a person. They saw Matthew's past. They saw Matthew's problems. They did not see Matthew the person. And Jesus says, I see Matthew the person. I see a man. And yes... I'm aware of his past and his problems. I'll deal with them later. But first, Jesus shows mercy in this. He doesn't see Matthew as a past or as a problem. He doesn't see the mess. He sees through the mess, he sees the man. He sees Matthew. Uh, A few weeks ago, Scott and Sarah Roney were, they invited us over, we had dinner at their house. After dinner, I was playing football with their eight-year-old son, Judah. And, and between, you know, trying to haul in the, the bullets and the laser beams that he was throwing my way, he, he, he said, hey, maybe you should talk about this uh, in your next sermon. And I, I was tickled, uh, just the idea that I would tell you about this at, at some point. And also, I like the fact that there are eight-year-olds in the congregation other than my children that know that I, I preach. That was... Encouraging. They're paying attention. Oh, good. They're paying attention. Uh, but I, so I, I was tickled. I said, all right, uh, what should I tell them? And he said, tell them that I'm good at throwing the football. <laughs> and I thought, all right. right. Initially, I don't know exactly what spiritual lesson or point that would serve to illustrate. <laughs> Not quite sure. But I told him, all right, I'll think about it. And then as I was preparing for the sermon, it, it hit me. We want to be seen. We want to be known. I want somebody to tell me that I'm important. I want somebody important to say that I'm important, to give me value, to honor me, to talk about me. And that human need to be seen, to be known, to have value in the eyes of someone important, we never outgrow that. We just get better at, at hiding it. And in a season of hiddenness that we're in right now, a season of isolation, or perhaps you feel particularly unseen, unnoticed, overlooked for any reason this morning, the same mercy that Jesus gave to Matthew, Jesus is here right now. He has that same ministry of mercy to you. Jesus sees you, and he thinks you're important. And I wanna tell you something, if you live for him, If you decide that you're going to live for him, then for the rest of your life, whether or not anybody on this earth takes much notice of you at all. On the last day, there's a promise that on the last day when Jesus comes back and he's telling your story before everybody, he will say, she was important. He was important. And you will be honored and you will receive glory on that last day. And let that encourage you and motivate you now in a time of hiddenness or isolation to go unseen if need be. Let it also encourage you, as Paul admonished us this morning in his epistle, to outdo one another in showing honor. See others. Honor them. But no matter what, if you live for Jesus, even if you are not seen in this life, you will be seen on that last day. And it will feel so good. Now, it's not just that Matthew was seen by Jesus. That is important. But to the point of what we're talking about today, it was that Jesus looked on Matthew with mercy. He saw past the mess. He saw the man. He saw the dignity and the glory of a human being made in God's image. That is how Jesus sees you this morning. Not your past. Not your current problems or the mess or the things that are weighing you down right now. All the things that you tell yourself, this is why I'm disqualified. That's not what he sees. He looks past that. And he sees you as you truly are in him. He sees you as you will be one day once he has made you perfectly like himself. Which is what is happening and will happen again on the last day. That's called redemption. Uh, I once heard a beautiful illustration of redemption. Barbara Gauthier passed this on to me. So she said, it's, Jesus is like a silversmith. A silversmith who was walking through the markets of his street, of his town one day, and he went by the junk seller, and he noticed in the pile of tin and junk at the bottom of the pile, a silver tureen, battered up, tarnished. But he looked at that, and because he was a silversmith, he had an eye. He said, I actually know that with a little bit of work, and some, uh, some uh, what do you call it when you rub it? Rubbing, polish it. That's it, that's the word. With a little bit of polishing, all that tarnish will be gone. That will be like brand new. But furthermore, he looks at that tureen and he says, and I recognize that tureen. I made that tureen. That's mine. I'm gonna buy it back and I'm gonna get it back in shape. So when Jesus looks on you, he never forgets anything that he has made. No matter how tarnished or beat up or bruised you are, he's saying, I will buy you back. That's what he did on the cross. I'll buy you back and I'll fill you with my spirit, polish you up, make you like me. So God always leads with what? Mercy. Right now he sees you through the lens of mercy, first and foremost. So now my question to you is, how do you see others? Does mercy lead when you look on others in your life, those around you? Do you see as Jesus does or do you see as the Pharisees do? You only see what's wrong in their behavior. Maybe you're critical of those who are weak, impatient with those who don't have it together. How do you handle other people's mistakes? Just this week, the news brought to surface something that happened back in March, a Chicago man named Mr. Prude. Yet again, another incident where a black man is now dead at the hands of police involvement. And between that, which was surfaced this week, even though it happened in March, between that and last week with Kenosha and Jacob Blake and his shooting and the summer of unrest that we've had, I think it's safe to say this is not going anywhere away anytime soon. And the question this morning is, how will you respond the next time a story, the new story, the next one, comes up on the newsfeed? How will you respond? Will you lead with mercy? Will you see a man first? Or will you see a past and problems first? Is your first instinct, and believe me, I, I know, I, I felt this instinct myself say this confessionally, is your first instinct to look for reasons why maybe we can dismiss this one so that I don't have to worry about it, so it doesn't have to trouble me? Think of Jacob Blake. You could say he had a record. There was a knife in his car. There was a warrant out for his rest, and you should never walk away or run away from a police officer. He had a past, and he had problems. Well, you may be right about that. You actually are right about that. But the question is, is that leading with mercy? Are you seeing the person first, letting mercy be the lens? And yes, what what would Jesus do in the situation? How would he handle it? Well, he would not be unaware of Jacob's past. He would not be unaware of Jacob's problems. He would come to Jacob and he would see Jacob. And being Jesus, he would heal him, he would touch him, he would heal the gunshot wounds. And then he would say, now follow me, and I will disciple you into a better way of life. Follow me, I will disciple you. And guess what? Jesus would say the same thing to the police officer that shot him down. He would say, follow me. You too, follow me. I will disciple you into a better way. And the 17-year-old who went up and shot dead, two protesters, Jesus would say, you also follow me, and I will disciple you into a new way and a better way. He may have to find that young man in prison. That man may have a lot of prison ahead of him. Doesn't matter. Jesus will still find him. And he always says the same thing. Follow me. I will disciple you to a better way. We could go on, the looters, follow me. I will disciple you into a better way. And yes, of course, you and me, we ourselves, he looks at us and he says to us the same thing. Follow me. I will disciple you into an even better way. I will show you the righteousness of the kingdom, the true righteousness. Does this offend you? Does any of that offend you? Jesus in this story is revealing the offensive mercy of God. His first mercy is he saw Matthew, and he saw him through the lens of mercy. The second mercy that Jesus gives to Matthew, he, he does not only see him, but now he calls him to himself to follow, to say, yes, I want to disciple you. Now, likely... Matthew knew about Jesus. Again, Jesus had been doing a lot of ministry already. His fame had spread throughout all of Galilee. And Matthew and Jesus are from the same town, Capernaum. So likely Matthew knew a little bit about Jesus. Maybe he even went to the Sermon on the Mount, which was preached just outside of Capernaum. Maybe he heard Jesus talk about storing up your treasures in heaven and not on earth, and wheels started turning for him. Maybe he heard Jesus talk about do to others what you want them to do to you, and Matthew said, that's not how I've been living, but the wheels are starting to turn. Maybe his heart was stirred, but ultimately, maybe he said, but it's just a dream. That way is not for me. It's too late for me, count me out. I'll go back to my life and die a despised sinner perhaps even the memory of his most recent injustice that he had committed against his fellow Israelites maybe it was fresh on his mind the day that the rabbi stood in front of his booth pointed at him and said you follow me and this is one of the greatest who me moments in all the scriptures who me yes you you Matthew follow me And Matthew was stunned, absolutely stunned. And perhaps he even protested, you you don't know what I've done. Which, of course, Jesus would say, actually, I do know what you've done. Follow me anyway. And like Peter, who fell before Jesus when when Jesus uh, commanded the miraculous catch of fish, Peter fell on his knees before Jesus and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, don't be afraid from now on you'll be catching men, you'll be fishers of men. But from now on, Jesus is a from now on rabbi. Don't be afraid from now on. I'm not too worried about your past. I know your past, I'm more interested in where we are going moving forward. Don't be afraid from now on, follow me, let me disciple you. So what is your list? What are the things that run through your head of all the reasons why you are disqualified to be a real disciple of Jesus, a real Christian? What are all the reasons that you say, even as you're coming into worship this morning, why do I even bother? I should just go back to living my life. What are all of those things? Now or later in the service, I actually want you to think of them and list them out. Speak them to the Lord in your heart. Say, here are all the reasons Here's why I'm disqualified. And let Jesus minister his mercy to you to say, even so, follow me. I invite you to myself. Jesus, of course, is not unaware of those things. He is very aware. But would you believe that today for you can be a from now on day? From now on, I will show you a new way to live. So the first mercy is Jesus sees Matthew and he sees him with the eyes of mercy. The second mercy is he then calls him to himself to disciple him. He doesn't reject him. He chooses him. And this leads to the third and final mercy that Jesus does what Matthew needs most. He transforms him. He actually heals him. As we've said, the surprising thing about this story is that instead of calling the righteous, the Pharisees, Jesus instead calls the unrighteous. But here's the next surprising thing. What does Jesus call the unrighteous to? Righteousness. Jesus calls the unrighteous to righteousness. Jesus had enough mercy to not let Matthew stay as he was. In Luke's version of the story, Jesus says, I've not come for the righteous. I've come to call sinners sinners. To repentance, to a turning around, a changing of life. He says they're sick. Well, what do sick people want? They want to be well. What do sinners want? They want to be righteous. And Jesus had a way, and oh, that we would have a way of calling people to righteousness and living in righteousness in a way that didn't push them away, but actually had them say, like a hungry man saying, I want food, like a dirty man saying, I want a bath, a sinner saying, I want righteousness. I want that." Now we're talking about true righteousness, not just the outward show that was a shell with nothing inside. We're talking about true righteousness, which Jesus loves. Let's not get confused about that. We can read the story, I've not come to call the righteous but the sinners, and we can get confused and forget that Jesus cares a lot about righteousness. Just a few chapters back, he said, seek the kingdom of God and what? It's righteousness. He even said in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus cares about righteousness. What's the difference? The problem with the Pharisees is they were trying to do it on their own. And it skewed their understanding of what righteousness is. It also skewed their understanding of how do you get it? And Jesus knew there's only one way. There's only one way that you can both learn what righteousness is and actually obtain it, and that is follow me. I alone, Jesus says, can give you righteousness. I alone can disciple you into the way of righteousness. I alone can make you righteous. It's a vision of righteousness rooted in relationship with your rabbi. Righteousness rooted in relationship with Jesus, your rabbi. It's the only way. And Lord knows how many times in my life I've tried to be righteous on my own. He knows how many times that I've tried and actually thought that I was succeeding and doing pretty good at it. And he's had mercy every single time. And the Lord knows that it will happen again. There will be moments where I find myself trusting in my own righteousness... Seeking after righteousness, but having fallen off into one of the ditches, which is self-righteousness, and I'll be there, but guess what? Even for a Pharisee like me, once I realize I've been trusting in my own righteousness, what does Jesus say? Follow me, I'll disciple you into a better way. Come back to relationship with me. I'll give you, I'll show you, I'll give you true righteousness. Learn from me, there's no other way. But again, just so we're clear, mercy is not opposed to righteousness. Mercy actually leads to righteousness. So Jesus says to you, get ready. I'm going to lead you in the way of true righteousness. And it will mean leaving your tax collector booth. Jesus wants to disciple you out of those sins and the problems and that list that you've got going. Jesus wants to disciple you out of those. But I'm going to tell you this. It will mean you will have to leave your tax collector booth. There will be things you will have to change. There will be things that you have to leave behind. So what is he saying to you this morning? That's what i got to leave behind. That's what I have to say no to. It's actually really encouraging that... Probably the most significant thing in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness is not what do we add on, but it's actually what do we say no to? What do we let go of? What do we surrender? That more than anything is what Jesus will use to produce in us holiness and righteousness. And by the way, when you're discipling others, will you have the courage to also call them into righteousness? and call them into sacrifice and call them into holiness and call them to leave behind and change and do some radical cutting off of the hand and gouging out of the eye because that too is the way of the kingdom. It's part of it. What keeps us straight and on North Star is remembering that mercy leads and that when we get off track, whatever the past, whatever our problems, mercy leads mercy first so Jesus looks mercifully upon you will you look mercifully upon others Jesus is calling you to follow him maybe for the first time today especially speaking to those of you who may be visiting us through live stream maybe this is the first time Jesus is calling you to follow him maybe for others this is the hundred and first time but what will you say will you say yes Finally, will you follow him into a way of righteousness, leaving behind your tax booth, believing that ultimately mercy does lead to holiness and righteousness and a transformed life. Say yes to Jesus today and receive his mercy in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.